you're made of star stuff. Well, you and I are made of star stuff. Kobe and Benjamin, however, are made of tiny sulfur bits that make rotten eggs smell the way they do. Trust me, it's science. good root beer <laughs> i love how every episode starts with us like clearing our throats or having a sip of a delicious beverage or, or that one time that i was just like panting and out of breath as i ran into <laughs> to my desk to start recording ah, i hope everybody appreciates that that way they know we're human and not ai <laughs> Yes, we can promise you that most of the episode is not produced by AI. <laughs> Actually, it's true. Most of the episode. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> We're not AI. Wink. I was, I was submitting a, a, something in an online form yesterday, and there was a bit at the bottom. There was like a bunch of windows to fill in, and there was a point at the bottom that said, leave this blank if you are human, and I just wrote in, okay. (laughs) 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 Oh, I almost failed. Welcome. Welcome, folks. Welcome, gang. Our uh, fellow nerds and scientists and nerd enthusiasts and science enthusiasts and all of you other fine folks tuning in for the first time, welcome to Science Actually Presents the Nerd and the Scientist. Here today, your regular co-hosts, myself, Kobe Rose, and the one and only Benjamin Salas. That's me, that's me, that's me. Hello, hello, hello. Actually, I'm not the only one. Uh, I had a really good time a couple years ago finding other people on all the social media platforms with the same name as me, and we are now all friends. It's great. So no, happy you have birthday, a Facebook. Benjamin. <laughs> happy birthday, Benjamin in France. Whose birthday it was on January second. <laughs> wait, 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 this is this is a Facebook group of everybody with your first and last no, name. No, I just I just friended everyone with the same spelling name as me, and we've been friends for years. <laughs> it's not many of us, but seven. But it's great. That's great. Seven Benjamin Salas in the world. Okay. Seven seven was carefully placed around the world, just in case. <laughs> and that's just one classification of human beings. And there are many other classifications. There's there's Benjamins, there's Cobbies. I'm sure there's a Fred out there. At least one Fred. At least one Fred. There are other other classifications of uh, of. Uh, that's a really crappy segue, but we're going with it. There's, 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 there, are, there are other ways, other things that we classify and categorize and and organize, like, I don't know, stuff in space. Space? Huh. What an interesting topic for us to be discussing today, classifications in space. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. It, it's It's kind of an idea that i bugged kavi about a long time ago what's with all the m class stuff there's m class uh stars and there's m class asteroids and 
and Star Trek, there's M-class planets, which is not a real thing. And I was like, what's with all the M's? How come there aren't, how come, how come we, scientists always classify things with M's? So we uh, looked up a whole bunch of different things that are categorized and classified that are whizzing about out there in space. And turns out uh, there are a great many <laughs> other I, classifications. I should. <laughs> we, we should clarify we did not look up all these classifications benjamin diligently um as a responsible adult in this podcast relationship looked up all of these different classifications um and and it seems like today's show is going to be largely somewhat of a quiz to to remind me to humble me and bring me back down to earth um, to remind me that just being an astrophysicist does not mean that I know uh, everything or in some cases anything about all of the different classifications and classes and subclasses of fantastical objects in space. <laughs> Benjamin is nodding furiously. <laughs> yeah, so let's put the screws to him, gang. Here he goes. <laughs> Speaking of classifications and subclassifications, uh, let's start with planets. There are Classif planets are classified by their mass or their orbit or by their composition. And in each of those, uh, there's subclassifications. And um, <clears throat> well, my favorite one that I came up with, I'm going to try to pronounce it. It's a subclass of planet called, here it's spelled C H T H. O-N-I-A-N. It's a Chthonian planet. A Chthonian planet. Say it with me. Chthonian planet. Kavi, uh, do you know what a Chthonian planet is? I had no idea until you mentioned it to me. And I was also, I was like, is it Chthonian? Is it Chthonian or something like that? C-H-Chthonian. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't know. I didn't know the origins. Um, I looked it up, and I saw that it comes from uh, Greek, and I saw the Greek letters, and that's why. Um, because the only two things that you learn in a physics degree is how little you know and Greek letters. Um, I actually figured out that it is pronounced Chthonian um, because in Greek it's spelt with the chi letter at the front, which looks like the letter X. Um, and, and it uh, comes from the ancient Greek word for, for earth, I think, kathos. Um, and then it used to like, kathonic used to have some meaning that was tied to like the underworld demons and deities of, uh, ancient Greek, uh, culture and mythos. Um, but now, now I know what the science meaning is, which is kind of wild and i wasn't expecting it it's pretty cool uh if i'll, I'll tell people what it is it, <laughs> it, 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 it it's a planet that used to be a bigger planet basically you have a gas giant planet like jupiter or neptune and it gets too close to its parent star and large atmospheres don't stand up too well when you're too close to your parent star. And it kind of gets 
stripped away or blasted away or just the, the solar, solar radiation is just too much for a thick atmosphere to handle. And all that's left is the core of that former gas giant planet. And that is a Chthonian planet. A it's it's I it's, love it. <laughs> it's the beef jerky of planets. Yes. See like like you have a steak, right? You have a steak and then you put it in the oven and the the heat of the oven is too much and it, it or dries it out. It blasts away the moisture and all that's left is the jerky. See? So so a Chthonian planet is like a big juicy steak planet. And it had the atmosphere blown away, and all that's left is the jerky core. So, I made that connection. Anybody else hungry? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's wild. I mean, I love, I love how like I had never heard of this before, and and my entire contribution to this segment has been knowing Greek letters. <laughs> <laughs> whereas Benjamin has given us the astrophysical explanation for how these objects form. Uh, but yeah, the, the, the radiation um, radiation uh, of uh, molecules and, and particles in an atmosphere um, can uh, give those particles more energy, basically the transfer of, of momentum from the photons, the energetic photons coming in from the host star hitting these particles, energizing the particles. And, and basically the, the only, you know, way that a planet is able to hold an atmosphere um, is with its mass. And so basically it's the escape velocity, right? Which is how fast you need to go to escape the gravitational pull of a thing um, that determines whether or not these particles will stay there. So um, basically this radiation is going to come in and give more energy to the particles in the atmosphere, which will allow them to meet or surpass the escape velocity, allowing them to escape. Science. <laughs> um, yeah, that that's a, that's a weird one. I feel that like there are going to be one. a lot of these that I don't that's know. a fun one. Hey, Cobbs. What's the t- I love the name. What's the difference between a circumbinary planet and a double planet? Mm. Well, ooh. okay. I know what the first one is. The circum a circumbinary planet. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is a planet that's orbiting um, a binary star system, right? Right. So. Okay, yeah. So, so basically, it would be orbiting. You know, like a binary star system is two stars that don't orbit each other, but they orbit a, a kind of uh, center of mass uh, mm-hmm. for the system, a, a central point. And so, circumbinary planet would be orbiting that same central point. A a double planet? Did you say? Yes, I did. A double planet. I f- I feel like that would be a system where you have in one orbital path around a star two different planets that are orbiting together. Is that right? Close. Close. That is a Trojan planet. Two planets that orbit the same 
uh, two sorry two planets on the same orbital path around the same star. Mm-hmm. They're a Trojan planet, and so are double planets. But double planets have something else. Very similar to what you mentioned about the binary stars orbiting a, uh, a a center of mass, a point in space between them. So too do the double planets. An excellent example is close is Pluto and Charon. They mm. or they orbit a point in space that's either just above the surface or just below the surface of Pluto because they're so similar in size and close enough that they kind of whiz about this central point. So two planets that orbit each other as they go around Mm -hmm. uh, a star. Interesting. So I wonder if all, if all double planets then necessarily have to be, well, at least by like the, the IAU, the international astronomical unions classification have to be dwarf planets, right? Because a planet by their classification has to have cleared its orbital path. Right. Right. Um, interesting. A bunch of BS, but whatever. <clears throat> I mean, it's probably important to mention, uh, you know, especially as context for this episode, that science isn't about getting things right. It's about being less wrong over time. Right. right. So, well, so you, you try to just, yeah, <laughs> you're just, you know, like we try as scientists to come up with um, models and theories and explanations and classifications that do a good job of describing the natural world that we can see. And a good job of describing means that we can explain one thing, but also make predictions for other things. And those predictions be accurate, but at the end of the day, n- nature doesn't always work <laughs> with our classifications. There are always outliers. There are always things that we will learn later on that kind of fly in the face, no pun intended with orbital dynamics, but fly in the face of like the classifications that we thought. So it's just it's just like we're, we're doing our best <laughs> here. So don't, don't be too hung up on like the literal classification of, nope. you know, what is a particular science is always evolving and re making sure it understands things better and better and has to every once in a while change a line or two in a textbook just to make sure everything is square yes hey exactly what's the difference between a rogue planet and an extra galactic planet Ooh, i they're I very similar they're similar but again, different. Same, same, but, but different. different. But still same. <laughs> <laughs> I um, so rogue planet I know is a planet that has been um, ostensibly ejected from uh, its solar system or the, the stellar system in which it formed, uh, and is just rogue. It's not. It's not apparently orbiting. Um, any star it's just you know floating free floating in space in the interstellar medium within a galaxy right. um okay and then the extra galactic planet an extra galactic planet which i i'd not heard of being a thing before i guess would have to be the same thing 
but not free-floating in the interstellar medium within a galaxy, but free-floating outside of a galaxy. Uh, no, wait, not necessarily free-floating, or at the very least, it would have to be in a different galaxy, right? It is not in any ga- galaxy. An extragalactic planet is a planet without a galaxy. It's just some... I guess must have been ejected from its host star in such a way that it's not just ejected from its host star, but also ejected from the galaxy as a whole. And hey, it's that's just wild. Just out there. I'm sure quite cold. I can't, I can't imagine how we would, without technology currently, be able to even observe that, right? Because I believe this is a theoretical concept. I don't know that it's actually uh... been pinpointed. Uh, but I, I sincerely doubt it's possible to pinpoint a planet <laughs> that far away that it's outside of the galaxy. Our galaxy I mean, is so we, immensely huge that we yeah. can't, that to see something outside of our galaxy that's smaller than a galaxy is very difficult. <laughs> I mean, we can see, we can see stars when they explode sure, as supernovae sure. outside mm-hmm. of our galaxy. Um, but we can't see stars normally with any like decent resolution um and certainly not planets outside of our galaxy that is super interesting huh. yeah theoretically be very cool theoretically is it uh is it that time of the day it's is it that time it's time for an ad break and just in time in fact are you craving a snack that's out of this world Look no further than Chthonian Planet Jerky, packed with bold flavors and otherworldly spice blend. Our jerky is a taste adventure like no other. Made from premium, ethically sourced planets, it's the intergalactic snack that'll satisfy your craving. Try Chthonian Planet Jerky today and elevate your snacking experience to a cosmic level. Available now at your nearest convenience store. Chthonian Planet Jerky. Taste the cosmos in every bite. (laughs) I love it. I love the sped up legalese at the end of the commercial. I love it. <laughs> and just in case folks want, uh, you should be able to find our Chthonian uh, beef planet jerky t-shirts. Uh, yes. the, where, where where can the folks find them, Benjamin? Just go to scienceactually.com slash store and you'll find it there. Scienceactually.com slash store should take you to a Zazzle page with all of our swag and you'll find that delicious Chthonian planet jerky shirt along with a bunch <laughs> of other things that we've made about tinfoil hats, stellar sip. Um, we are all recycled star stuff. We got a whole bunch of shirts there. <laughs> the bungee cord. The bungee cord jumping off the flat edge of the flat Scienceactually.com slash store. That's a good commercial. I love it. Yeah. Love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. Hey, Cobbs. Fantastic. All right. Yes, Benjamino. Oh, I like that. Let's talk about black holes. (laughs) Can you name Mm. the four different classifications of black holes moreover what are the classifications of black holes based on Mm. 
the the and properties their... of the black hole. And primarily it's so, their mass. Yes. So it's their, yes. it's their mass, their spin, uh, their charge, their electric charge. Um, and, and the fourth one. What is the fourth one? I know there's the, the no hair theorem, which is the hairiness of a black hole is, is more of a theoretical thing. I was just going by the four different classifications of black hole mass. I I am today I was today years old when I learned about their electrical charge. I didn't know black holes had an electrical charge. Yeah. Um yeah, as far as I know off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure that those are the three main properties of of an electric of a electric of a black hole, um mass, spin and charge. Wow. Okay. See, what were you Kavi, talking about? was going on and on about how Benjamin prepared and he didn't prepare. And then turns out who's been prepared all along? Kavi. Look at that. Astrophysicists are the Boy Scouts of the science world. Always prepared. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that most black holes, what you wouldn't expect to have, um, like a... a I think you'd expect them to have a very negligible or neutral electric charge. I think it's theoretically possible. Wow. But, yeah. I was uh, going by the different categories of black holes by mass. And the smallest size is called... Do you know what? Um, I mean, there are pr theoretically primordial... Uh, black holes. That's the smallest one. Niels. Small, they they were uh, supposedly happened within the first second or two of the Big Bang, where pockets of material were. They didn't have time to become anything yet, but everything was still so densely packed together at that moment that they were able to coalesce and form a black hole that were supposedly anywhere in the range uh, from about 100,000 times less than the size of a paperclip to about the size of the sun or even bigger. That just That's a lot of paperclips. That's a lot of paperclips. But everything was so quick and random. And, 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 and I'm looking forward. Everything happened so quickly and instantaneously that these itty-bitty little black holes that just kind of bubbled up also quickly mm. evaporated as well supposedly, supposedly. it's a theoretical yeah. it's a theoretical thing because clearly nobody i do was i have some friends record it i do have some friends who are working on this um exact topic um That's maybe awesome. i can try to get them to come in as a as a guest on the show at some point um because yeah it's it's a really fascinating part of um well you know there's there's astrophysics and then there's cosmology, which is kind of on a larger scale. You're talking about galaxies or the universe and the cosmos, but then there are um, cosmologists who are astro particle cosmologists who, who work on like understanding, um, you know, primordial black holes and um, dark matter and uh, the creation of dark matter and primordial black holes and fundamental particles interactions. 
around the time of the Big Bang. Um, it's it's super. It's not what I work on, but it's super super interesting stuff. That's awesome. God, yeah. I don't have friends like that know that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if your friends don't dark matter, and if they don't dark matter, then they're no friends of mine. <laughs> I got 99 friends and a dark matter expert ain't one. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, sorry for that segue. Yes, <laughs> that was great. I like that. That's that. That's another T-shirt. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good tangent. I like it. Anything that produces a T-shirt idea is a good quality tangent. <laughs> Speaking of dark, what's a dark nebula? It's a classification of nebula. What's a dark nebula? Since we're talking about mm. this. So, so this was one that actually tripped me up um, recently. Um, so, so I know that there are nebulae that are very dusty. And so at optical wavelengths, um, there isn't a lot of light that comes out of them because basically there's so much dust that um, the light coming from whatever stars are inside of this nebula don't make it out. Um, but if there is a, if there is a star or multiple stars inside that nebula, um, when you switched to an infrared telescope, that infrared telescope would show that optically dark nebula to be uh, bright in at infrared wavelengths because infrared telescopes show like the thermal emission of the dust and the dust would be heated up a little bit by those stars. So here's my question about that. What's the difference between what's the difference then between a dark nebula and an emission nebula? Isn't an emission nebula something you detect the what you just said, the spectral something ultraviolet thingamajiggers? See? <laughs> I call it thingamajigger because I don't have a degree. <laughs> well, I mean, um, the ultra, like ultraviolet emission, would be a slightly different process. I, so I know that an, an emission nebulae, a lot of the time, what you're seeing is, um, oh god, how how deep into chemistry do we need to go? Um, uh, electrons, electrons orbit a, a nucleus of an atom at particular levels, and those levels correspond to the energy of the electron. Um, and when you shine a photon of the right wavelength, a uh, right energy uh, on that atom, um, the electron can jump up a level. Um, and when it does that, it basically absorbs the photon and, and the electron is higher up. And the same thing happens in reverse when uh, an electron emits, if it's not stable at that level, it emits a photon, photon goes out, um, and then the electron falls back down a level. So basically when you have a nebula that has a star or stars inside of it, the photons coming from that star um, can basically ionize the material around them, meaning that the photons will be swallowed up uh, by those electrons as they jump up a level, and then eventually then those atoms in the gas 
of the nebula will then emit those electrons out. Um, and that tells us about like the chemical composition, obviously, because uh, depending on what the composition is of that gas, that will determine what the atoms are um, and what electron levels they have. And the electron levels will correspond to the particular wavelengths of the photons that are either absorbed or emitted. I know that was a lot. <laughs> is, that, is that how spectroscopy works? Basically. That's exactly, exactly how spectroscopy works. Yeah. That's how we know if we have a star and that has like a thing, a gas cloud passing in front of it. Um, we know what the composition is of that gas cloud because of how there are emission lines or absorption lines that show up in the spectrum. Um, awesome. Yes. Yeah. It's like a, like a, a spectroscopy in one minute. <laughs> I, I don't think I could have handled the second one. That was great. Spectroscopy. <laughs> Spectroscopy in two minutes? No, too much. One no, minute. That's ridiculous. One minute? Let's do it. Uh, do we have time for one more classification? Assuming that I answered that question. You I answered think. that one great. Uh, 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 so many. To, to 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 go through uh, so many choices so many things in space infinite cosmic things so many things let's talk quasars oh quasars there are several kinds of quasars my favorite <laughs> they all have really cool names radio loud radio quiet broad absorption lines type 2 optically violent weak emission and then this one they just call it red just red red quasars red why do red quasars simply have their name red instead of something cool <laughs> what makes red quasars red or called red rather interesting i would hmm i mean i i think a lot of the nomenclature and classifications around quasars generally like i was saying before is just due to like empirically we observe things and we're like oh that's slightly different let's give it a new category but in reality most quasars are not um are not fundamentally different they're just we just observe them differently so like a radio loud versus a radio quiet quasar might just depend on when we're looking at it and the angle at which we're looking at it um, and a whole bunch of other things. Uh, so red quasars, I would imagine, might be quasars that have a very high redshift, um, meaning these are quasars that are very old and are far away from us, which means that because of the expansion of the universe, the light coming from them is redshifted uh, significantly. That would be my guess. I don't. I don't know. Uh, red quasars are quasars with optical colors that are redder than normal quasars, thought to be the result of moderate levels of dust extinction within the quasar's host galaxy. Infrared hmm. surveys have demonstrated that red quasars make up a substantial fraction of the quasar population. I love that population. Population. That's Interesting. Cool. Yes. Yeah. So so they're optically redder. Um, 
Okay. Huh. Fun fact. I like optically violent variable quasars because it sounds like you're going to die if you observe one. It's a radio loud quasar <laughs> in which the jet of the the quasar is directed directly toward the observer. Mm. And that sounds like a, I'm going to take a wild guess. That sounds like a blazar. I was about to say that sounds like a blazar. Yeah. <gasps> Noise. Man, I love reading all these things. I get things right. <laughs> Thank you for you basically defined academia in a sentence. <laughs> oh, that's great. Ah, uh, I think I think we might be out of time, but I'm having so time, much fun. This was, this was fun. That was a good time. <laughs> Ping ponging around this ridiculously long list of stellar classifications we didn't even touch upon uh galaxy classifications or moon or asteroid classifications or comets we didn't talk about this one classification of comets called lost comets lost comets yes peter pan lost comets just lost comets i had it i had a comet it was in my pocket Ah. now it's lost oh must have a a comet-sized hole in your pocket we should do a comet episode. That'd be fun. You know what? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the history of classifications um, is well, with especially with extragalactic objects, goes back to the 18th century with Charles Messier, um, and he was basically classifying things mm-hmm. without knowing what they were, but basically just saying, "Ah, this is not interesting. It's not a comet. All I care about is comets." Um, but that maybe is a story for another episode. All right. I'm down. There you go. Love it. Cool beans. Love it. Hey, everybody listening. Can I, can I, can I just say thank you for listening? Thanks for listening. <laughs> but seriously, thank you all. Um, it's been lovely seeing our audience continue to grow oh with gosh. more listeners popping up all over the darn place. Yeah, it's it's nice. We have everywhere. We've got listeners all over the U.S. and Central America and Europe. And we saw two little blips pop up in Israel and Australia looks on our little map of listeners. is starting to get a little series of bumps in the southeast. It's very exciting. A couple of places in China. We have a listener in Japan. It's it's wonderful. I love it's, it. It's really love it, love great. Love it, love it. I love it. I don't have to wait Fantastic. for someone to maybe give me stats. We just have them now. It's a sore oh, point, f- but a good and- one. <laughs> uh, well, thank you all again. You have been listening to um, Science Actually Presents the Nerd and the Scientist. Uh, Benjamin, where can the good people find you? Everybody, you can find me and all my sci-com doings on the internet. Great answer. You can find yeah. me on the internet as well. <laughs> Where on the internet? You can find ah. me, uh, look up Science Actually on all the social media platforms. Uh, Science Actually is biggest on Facebook, but we're also on Twitter, Instagram, 
Threads, TikTok, Hive, Mastodon, Tweet. Did I say Twitter? Twitter again. Why not? LinkedIn. We're everywhere. And also, don't forget to go to scienceactually.com slash store to get yourself a handy-dandy t-shirt. Yes, one of those How about you, lovely limited edition Chthonian planet jerky t-shirts. Uh, I'm going to be getting one in every size. Um, <laughs> I don't know why, but I want one in every size. <laughs> and folks can find uh, me and all of the uh, science posting and meme posting that I do on the interwebs uh, at Fun Fact Science on all good social media platforms. If there is such a thing as a good social media platform, um, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, the artist formerly known as Twitter, um, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, um, probably forgetting other ones. But yeah, look us up there. Um, let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode. Uh, we're accepting positive feedback, constructive feedback, and absolutely no negative feedback um, at all. So don't even bother. No, not even a little. No, no, don't just hear it. take no, no negative energy. None of those. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Um, and we will see you next time on Science Actually Presents. <laughs> Well, you will hear us <laughs> next time on Science Actually Presents The Nerd and the Scientist. See you then. See you then. I cannot believe it. You're still here. A full half an hour listening to Kyvie and Benjamin bumbling through an episode about asteroids, a nameless astrophysicist and the Beatles, and you're still here. Fascinating.